This is HP for Gamers, a podcast designed for gamers, by gamers, to understand how we can maximize our health and performance in the world of esports. We want to provide HP in the form of knowledge to gamers all over the world. Welcome. everyone this is Matt and welcome back to another episode of HP for gamers where we help everyone gamers health professionals business and administrative staff Pokemon trainers unicycle jugglers and everyone just understand how we can maximize our health and performance in the world of esports and I'm really excited today because we're here with Jake and our special guest Dr. Louis Limas uh, also known as PhD Louis he has his doctorate in counseling psychology uh, from Indiana University, received his master's in experimental psychology at CSU San Marcos, and just recently was hired as a staff psychologist at UCI. And I know prior to that, he was working uh, as a professional therapist at UC Berkeley. Uh, but I think the most important thing that we need to establish here is that he's a huge gamer himself. And, you know, we were talking about this before this episode started, but he started playing Halo just like all of us and Halo is really the the defining game, game for all gamers um, but really a brief about his background he's been a gamer and I think a competitor right since 2004 <laughs> what uh what games did you play Super Smash Brothers Melee all the way all yes. the way yes. yeah and you're also a tournament organizer hosting the large tournament series full bloom and, mm -hmm. and also in the past couple of years i think you've had the opportunity to work with a bunch of pro players in overwatch mm -hmm. soda 2 and the smash scene primarily to help them overcome mental barriers in mm -hmm. and achieve their full potential so i'm really excited to have this conversation today because not only in in terms of unlocking someone's potential by overcoming these mental barriers but just speaking a little more about mental health because mm -hmm. As much as people are being uh, open to speaking about this now on social media, I still think that there's a big gap in understanding what's the best way to approach it. Um, mm. So let's uh, let's just get right into it. Why what do you why do you think um, mindset is such an important part of esports or competitive gaming? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for that wonderful intro, Jake. Nice to see you again. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I like how you actually mentioned it's talked about a lot on social media. And I think we still have a lot to learn, just like you said, very well said. And for me, I'm trying to exactly do that trying to tap into what people are curious about, especially at the professional level. And mindset is something that I think is very interesting to talk about within esports. But I also think is kind of curious in the sense that it's something that's existed for a long time in traditional sports. Uh, we know that athletes in uh, major leagues, NFL, NBA, MLB, perform at the highest level. And while they practice and they have the skills, there is that component of that mentality piece. And so sports psychologists and other mental coaches are nothing new. But esports now, because it's a professional endeavor, because we see people now playing for millions of dollars, literally in front of thousands of people live on Twitch, which is essentially TV. Now we see the toll it takes on the mentality of these young esports athletes. And so when we talk about why is it important for competitive gaming, I think it's because 
it is something that is mentally taxing. It is something that is taking um, energy that would otherwise could be used on focusing on the gameplay, but maybe you are feeling anxious or maybe you're feeling depressed or maybe you're having a conflict with a fellow teammate. And that is pulling you from away from performing at your best on very important stage in front of a lot of people. And something that I think is interesting about that is these are young people. We're talking 18, even younger sometimes, who are taking a game which a lot of times are played alone at home, things like the games that are played on the PC. Yes, there is social interaction through online mechanisms, but now you are putting them in front of a, a lot of people and that comes with a lot of pressure. And now how do you deal with that? And so I'm interested in, wonder, in helping individuals make that transition, maximize their mentality so that the skill that they have and the hours of practice that they put in is not wasted on things like tournament nerves or conflicts or poor communication. Um, and so I want to see these players succeed. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Right. I mean, where do, where do we even start? So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess is the first thing to uh, because I, I do feel that the term sports psychologist is almost like an umbrella term. A lot of people don't really understand what it means. And they're like, what does a sports psychologist really do for a team? Maybe you can mm -hmm. help clarify sort of how you interact with an individual or even with a team and, and how that influences everything that you just talked about in terms of minimizing sure. pressure. And sure. Yeah, so... I do want to go on my soapbox just for a quick moment and say that I have noticed in the esports arena, especially, that there is a um, overuse of the concept of a sports psychologist. Yes. And so I just want to, and it's this isn't because I am trying to push out anybody who I think is well, well educated and well uh, intentioned in helping fellow players. But just like if you want to be called a medical doctor, you have to have certain qualifications. If you want to be called a, a lawyer, you have to pass a J, you have to pass a law, bar exam. So just real quick, if you're going to call yourself a sports psychologist, you must have a PhD in some form of psychology. Traditionally, it's going to be clinicals, counseling, or sports psychology. Some programs do offer that. And then in addition, you also need to have some experience, whether practical or educational, in sport concepts or applied sport concepts. Both of those have to be, um, are necessary. Having a PhD is not sufficient. You also have to have some education and such. So um, if you are a retired player, if you are a person who took some classes on sports type ideas or, or how to enhance performance, that's great, but you, you're not a sports psychologist. You are a retired player who's sharing your experience or you're somebody who is, um, a person who used to play basketball professionally and that's fine and people should hire those people but you're not a sports psychologist okay so let me say that so the next thing is people who are joining these teams calling those sports psychologists mental coaches whatever their goal is what i always say too from the outset working with teams is i am not the professional player i am not i don't know how to play dota to the best of my ability you guys know how to do that don't come to me for strategies. I, I always want to make that 100% clear. I am the expert, though, on what gets in the way when you can't apply those strategies. What is the mentality block that's getting in the way? Is it anxiety? Is it conflicts? Is it poor communication? Is it stress? Is it not being able to handle nerves? And that is one of the first things I communicate to the, the players that I work with. 
And then we do kind of a needs assessment to figure out what are their weaknesses and strengths to build off of those strengths, as well as both on the individual and team team um, team front. Great. Um... I mean, Sorry, I had to go on my soapbox yeah, just for a moment I mean, there. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I mean, that's, no, that's good. Yeah, I agree that's too. Totally true. I, I guess they would be more mentors than they are sports psychologists, and, and still valuable. Exactly, exactly. Not not to take away from them and not to gatekeep, like you said, but mm -hmm. um, it is really important to differentiate the type of ex expertise and value that you bring as a support staff. So, mm -hmm. uh, I love that, and. You know, I really do want to get a, a little deeper in some of the actual day-to-day -day things that might even provide some some help or benefit to someone just listening to this. So I guess my question is, do you have any um, unique routines or meditative practices that you first yourself do to keep yourself healthy, but also help gamers adopt? Sure. Uh, for me, I, I always try to keep uh, a few pillars in my life um, in terms of um, not budging on them in my day-to-day -day life. Because I feel like the moment I start to budge on, and I'll get into them, these particular pillars of kind of positive habits, then I start to devalue myself. And I, that might come off strong, but I think it's important to recognize that we need to value our health and our mentality uh, above all. And not from like a selfish standpoint, but if we can't value ourselves so much that we are prioritizing these important things, then we are not going to be the best teammate. We're not going to be the best individual player. And so we start to expect more out of ourselves than we're actually putting into ourselves. So some of those things are sleep. That's usually the first thing I always mention. If players I've worked with know that I tout sleep a lot, let's make sure that we're getting, and, and the things I'm going to mention hopefully aren't novel or aren't huge groundbreaking ideas. But I think they're groundbreaking in the sense that we don't do them enough and a self-reflection will help us realize that we are expecting more from ourselves, but yet we're not doing these things enough. So like, oh, I practiced for 12 hours today, but I still play like crap. Well, how much hours of sleep did you get? Why only sleep three hours a night? Those things don't go together. So we need to reprioritize and reschedule our day. So sleep, eight hours, being consistent. Um, the next thing would be social engagement. Surround yourself with people who, who you love and who love you, people who care about what you're doing. It's important that when we're going through problems in our life that we are not doing it alone. It is, easily, it is easy to become isolated and to think that we can handle everything on our own. And suddenly that turns into kind of poor social communication and, and we isolate ourselves. And so we think people don't care anymore. So surround yourself with people you love and who love you. Um, Next thing would be uh, eating healthy and drinking enough water. So making sure that you're not overindulging, that you, if you start to feel sluggish or you're not doing well, um, a lot of the times that could be contributed to diet. So are, are, are you mindful of what you're eating if you're drinking enough? Um, exercise. So I'd love to hear you guys because I'm sure you guys know a lot more about that. The one I always say is I'm not the expert on exercise, but I tell you that the American Heart Association has already put out recommendations and that's I think 30 minutes, two and a half hours a week, which is like 30 minutes a day, five days. They've already done the work. I'm just telling you what the research says. And you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. And the obvious, the clear benefits of doing that exercise. Um, so the, to me, um, those are the, some of the four biggest ones. And then after that, 
yeah, how do you, what are some of your coping strategies? How do you de-stress? So things like, do you know how to breathe? Literally, do you know how to breathe? Because it's breathing is something we do involuntarily. What do you do when you stress out? And a lot of the times, these players I work with, the answer is, I, I don't do anything. Time. I just wait for it to go away. Well, when you're in the middle of a Dota 2 match, um, you don't have that much time. You have to be able to cope with the situation in a matter of a few seconds. And so letting something that bothers you just fester until after the match, and it's already affected how you play. So making sure that we have good coping strategies in place. So to me, those are the things that are important to me. Sleep, diet, exercise, and social engagement. So I want to go over actually something that maybe is, um, I guess, zooming out a little bit. Mm -hmm. While those are very important, I, I, my question to you is I've had obviously um, some experience working with some players and I, I recommend very similar strategies to make sure that they improve their performance, can play at their best. How, how many times have you run into issues of compliance, right? Because there is what we believe is ideal for the specific population of gamers and while many of them maybe all of them because they're all bright individuals they understand mm. i do need sleep i do need to eat i do need to exercise how do we how do we bridge that gap how do we help them adopt better sleeping habits how do we have them eat better when they know okay i probably should eat more than one meal a day and it should probably <laughs> be more than three cheerios but <laughs> what what has been your experience with compliance? And um, I'm sure I ha you have millions of stories. I have quite a few myself, but I, I just love to hear from your experience, how you mm -hmm. approach that. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to save kind of the behavioral stuff because I know that you guys really touch on that a lot with your guys' expertise and background. And I'm going to go to the one of the pillars that I mentioned for myself, which is social engagement and how I deal with compliance with that. Because that takes me more into the things that I enjoy getting deeper with, with the people I work with. And so I mentioned compliance, or I mentioned what I mean by social engagement is surround yourselves with people who love you and, um, and who you love, who can support you and care about you. The issue with compliance there becomes is I don't know how to talk to people. And so then we start developing strategies or um, homework assignments. And the goal of these assignments is, yes, to practice it in your everyday life. But if I can engage in social interactions with people to show express care and to receive care from others, maybe I can do that with my teammates. The problem is with compliance is uh, I'll come back from a week after seeing somebody and they'll say, yeah, I didn't do it because I'm scared of what they might say. Yeah. Or um, I'm scared that if I provide constructive criticism to my captain that um, he or she will yell at me. Or I might get kicked off the team. Or um, I don't know if I can do it without getting angry enough. And so it's, it's, it's a person who's already kind of self-defeating themselves and not giving them the practical evidence, as I would say, to show that they can do it. And so yeah, we do, I struggle with compliance with that. And it often takes trials. But what I try to do with players is reinforce that it, it's not going to happen right away. And the reason you're struggling with it is because you've been doing it one way for so long. And now we're trying to learn a new skill, just like you try to learn a new skill in Dota, Call of Duty, whatever. It's going to take a while and we have to grind it out almost. I tried to weave in the, the gamer right. um, jargon, right? Absolutely. And so, so we try to get a little bit deeper and we explore, okay, so you want to get better at um, being more communicated with your teammates. You want to provide constructive criticism, but you're afraid of pushback. Let's practice it. Let's role play. 
let's explore the emotions that might come up if it happens. What would you say if they said this? And we practice that so that they can be better to be more outspoken with their fellow team. So that's kind of one of the things I deal with, um, a a recurring pattern I see with noncompliance in regards to kind of social engagement, which is bridging into kind of team communication or communication in general. I love that. I mean, I, I, I use a form of that myself in, mm-hmm. in helping them adopt certain behaviors and, and really just visualizing or even repetition practice of, yeah, situations. It, one of the players that I, I work with uh, for performance, one of the things I do is visualization. And mm. that helps them um, better understand how to prepare for a certain circumstance or environment beforehand. And then understand what would be the stressors during yes. whatever points of contact in that little movie that they can play for themselves. So yes. I, I love the idea of like a like a repetition or even like a mental bicep curl. I always say that to, mm. to them for some reason. And they immediately like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. And if I were to, because I like what you were mentioning, and it made me think of another kind of intervention that I do. Some call it, um, you know, systematic systematic desensitization. And so we try to do the mental visualization of whatever act it is that's causing anxiety. And we try to do it step by step. And every time we come to a step where, say, we say, let's say zero to 10 is anxiety, 10 being really bad. And let's say the threshold is about five or six, where they start to feel really uncomfortable. And say we're going through the time, okay, you're walking up to your team captain, you see that they're upset, where's your anxiety at? Five, okay, let's stop. Let's stop the visualization and let's practice. Let's go back into a relaxation technique. So now we try to repair what would cause them visually uh, anxiety with uh, the ability to calm down. Calm yourself down, bring yourself back to a place of center. You're ready. Are you back down to like a one or two? Yes. Then we go back into the activity. Okay, let's visualize. Now you're walking up to them. Say what you want to say. Oh, my anxiety's back up. Then we stop and we try to pair that with relaxation again. So that's another intervention we try to do to deal with kind of maybe non-compliance or, or, or overcoming kind of um, those types of issues. That's fantastic. This has been great. So a question I have for you, you already touched on the healthy lifestyle. So mm. sleep, nutrition, exercise, all that. Um for me, and we already talked about compliance, but like, what do you do? What strategies do you utilize to help motivate players who might not be compliant to these types of things, particularly just sleep? We can start there. Yeah. For me, I, you know, there's many directions you can go with it. I try to cater my approach a lot to who the player is, because I think, I think for me, one of the, one of the initial directions I go is I try to use a little bit of motivational interviewing and without getting too much into the approach, it's essentially helping somebody work towards their goals that they are. It's, it's the essential notion that somebody has the ability to work towards the goals and they know what they ought to do, but it's trying to understand what's getting in the way. What are the barriers that are getting in the way of it? So I kind of do that mental process with them. So maybe somebody's issue is, um, yeah, I just I can't form the habit, but I know it's important. So we'd like I like to talk to people about to generate motivation is I try to explore why is it important to you? What are the things that are important to you? Um, who who is it important to? Like, well, if I if I sleep better, um, I'll be a stronger player for my team. My my family would be my family would be proud of me. My teammates would be proud of me. My organization would be proud of me. And and what is that feeling? Uh, it makes me happy. It makes me joyful. And and when was the last time you felt that way? And, and so we highlight 
the positive emotions that come with accomplishing a goal, a goal that they already know is important. But by highlighting the specific things that bring joy to somebody and can potentially motivate them, I think it makes the goal a little bit more realistic mm -hmm. and a little bit more tangible. And so, okay, I can see now why there's a little bit more importance to me getting to bed on time. Um, so generating um, kind of those tangible things helps people, I think, get motivated. And in another respect, um, I like to talk about um, how stress and anxiety affects sleep. So because if it's a motivational issue, I go that direction. But I also like to do a full analysis of, well, tell me about your day. Why, why are you going to sleep late? Why are you only getting, well, I drink a bunch of caffeine right before bed. Uh, well, I exercise right before bed. Or um, I just, you know, I'm going through a, a tumultuous relationship right now. Well, let's, let's work that out because clearly stress is going to keep you up, right? And I think players don't realize the, how stress and anxiety affects sleep. I don't think they realize those one-to-one -one correlations. And so being able to explore those things, resolve those things, I, I kind of lead in with the assumption that therefore sleep will be improved. I think you touched on this way earlier, right? But they're 16 to 20. They don't know about yeah. how stress and anxiety affects their body. And, and that's why mm. I feel like it's so important to just provide some awareness mm -hmm. and education to this community because yeah. they just need to know, right? How does this affect me and why does mm -hmm. this affect me? And, and that's why it's important for especially individuals like you to, to really clarify a lot of the reasons and even the relationships be, behind why stress is important to be managed or important to be aware of, even, even yeah. aware of, right? Awareness might be one of the most important things that I, I love to at least speak about, not, not being able to maybe help them as much, but that's one of the things I, I really try to preach, right? Just be, mm. be more aware of how you're feeling. And that's especially with someone with an injury, right? Awareness yeah. with, their body position and why that influences how mm. they're feeling and why that can even influence their freedom of motion at their wrists and hands. So, um, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I know that you touched. And, oh, sorry. Go on. And, uh, I like, I, I like how you mentioned this, you're highlighting again, the 16 to 20, because another thing that I tried to do in kind of the style of which I approach coaching, mental coaching is I use a very interpersonal style. And so, cause I think a lot of these, um, athletes, don't have the language or interpersonal um, awareness, let's go with that, to even know how to approach these issues. So sometimes I, I will just reflect back to them. Well, if I was going through kind of the, some of the things you're going through, it kind of stresses me out. Or I'll tell them it stresses me out to hear. I feel stressed by all the things you're, you're juggling right now. I, if I feel stressed just hearing about it, I wonder how you feel. And by giving them that language, I think it helps normalize it for them and help them really gain that awareness. And I think that's really key um, that I'm noticing too. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, that was kind of something that was that I really wanted to ask about, which was what are some major revelations that you've had about mindset in this in the esports sphere or the competitive gaming sphere in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think um, for me, I think two things come to mind and I'll talk about it from a business aspect and I think from a player aspect. And I think from a business aspect, I think. Well, I guess they're they're one and the same, but in the sense that um, people are hungry for this, 
players are hungry for this. Players want this. They want to talk to a professional. They want to talk to somebody about the mental blocks issues that they're dealing with. Um, and I guess the business part of it is not everybody can afford it. Not everyone can provide it. Um, and so the issue with that is because it can be expensive. I think a lot of organizations now are, and I don't know much about investments or anything like that, but money's going here, money's going there. Maybe a mental coach, sports psychologist, whatever is not on the, on the radar or just seems like, you know, what can that bring? Well, we know Team OG just won back-to-back -back TIs and they have a, a psychologist working with them. So I think it's starting to gain that value. But I think that's something I've noticed is that players want it organizations are figuring out now how to incorporate it. Now, from a mental standpoint, the things that I'm noticing are, I think, I think kind of going back, honestly, to maybe I should just highlight it even more is that um, these are young players and they are a lot of the times it's not a stereotype. This is the reality, especially with these games is that they are playing at home. Um, the nature of these games, especially with most games being played online. Um, and now they are in the best situations where they're making, you know, six-figure salaries oh, far away from home, dealing with homesickness, trying to make it work with players from different countries, you know, so they're getting that cultural kind of cultural shock when working with different teammates, traveling, that culture shock, um, and having to learn how to manage money, and that's stressful. And so just kind of realizing that wow these players really are are dealing with a lot and um a lot of them might say that it's not as bad because they just want to be competitive and they just want to take it seriously and not worry about mentality issues but the reality is everyone is dealing with something and the more we talk about it the better we'll be as a team um so yeah i think that's kind of something some of the revelations i've noticed i agree so much with that and one of the things that I always feel like I'm describing whenever someone kind of asks me, oh, you do physical therapy for, for mm -hmm. gamers? I kind of just explain the difficulty that all these young kids have going into the professional scene at this point in esports. And what I mean is at this state of development for where esports is as an industry. Because there is no system to develop a player from high school all the way to college even though it's being developed right now. Don't get me wrong. High School Esports right. League, there's NACEF. There's all these great systems and companies starting to build this infrastructure that will allow for players to be used to being in a team mm -hmm. environment, communicating early, understanding yes. what it means to be in a team and then make some money or, or play the role. But imagine before this, the past couple of years, these 16 to 20-year-old kids are forced to develop as a high school, college, and pro player all in one year. All yes. all in maybe six months because maybe yeah. the season doesn't even last a year. And then yeah. and then on top of that, we have a lot of traditional sort of support staff saying, well, they should just be able to do this. They should Oof. jump in, do exercise five to six times a week. Also, they should be meditating. Also, they should be doing this. And mm -hmm. to me, I'm just like, hey, bridge the gap a little bit. Mm. Um, can you can you just do an analysis analysis and see where they are on this timeline of development? You can't force yeah. this upon all these kids, and and I I try to preach that so much. So so just just use saying that is 
I, I love it and and I can't preach that enough. I really can't preach yeah. that enough. So Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm I, I am pretty far removed from like the big, big business aspect of it. But um I feel very protective of um these young athletes, these sport athletes, because I was I'm a gamer myself and um and I see I can see their skill set and what they can bring to an organization. Um, it could easily be taken advantage of, um, especially a young person who who's not as uh, savvy yet with kind of finances and all the things that come with uh, being a professional. And so, it's it's important. Yeah, I mean, and and I think another thing that as a really lame segue, but that a lot of professionals deal with is performance anxiety and i yeah. think i know that i've had countless pros that you know all of us have worked with come to us and say hey when i go up on stage I'm, i get really jittery or mm -hmm. I, my aim kind of goes crazy how do i deal with this so yeah how, how do you typically work with someone to overcome that anxiety so i i come at it from um kind of three different approaches that i eclectic style most psychologists will say they use an eclectic style and I'm, I'm not any different so i kind of pull from um interpersonal process therapy cognitive behavioral therapy um i don't use cognitive for the cognitive behavioral therapy uh, people out there i don't use it in the most truest form i don't just strictly strict to the structure and verbatim and let's analyze your automatic thoughts let's do um, a thought log so i'm not touting that i do it that way but I do pull from the effective um, ingredients, if you will, from a CBT to deal with uh, performance anxiety and in the sense that I do like to understand, well, what is the thought that comes to mind? What are the automatic thoughts? Automatic thoughts is, is, is a thought that comes up when somebody is triggered by a particular situation a lot. And then I, I like to pull then, well, where is that coming from? So for example, I step on stage and, um, you know, my, my, my team, my, my teammate yells at me because I made a bad mistake. And I think to myself, the automatic thought comes up is, oh, I'm, I'm a failure or uh, I'm going to lose it for everyone. Right. And we, we under, we, I help players understand, okay, so it seems like you get triggered when certain teammates interact with you in a certain way. And it makes you start to have this thought of, oh, I'm not going to do well. I'm a failure and you start to get discouraged. Then how does that affect your behavior? Well, my hands start to get sweaty and I start to play worse. I start to react slowly. And so I think initially by helping a player understand that a lot of the times what, where the performance anxiety comes from and how it leads to bad performance is triggered by something somebody else does and it's related to a thought that then goes in town into their performance and that we can control that thought and we can reframe that thought then suddenly their performance doesn't have to be dictated in a negative way by that thought. So somebody can still react to them in a certain way, but it doesn't have to be, oh, it's because I'm a failure. Well, it's because maybe they're just trying to encourage me. Or maybe uh, that anxiety I'm feeling is a sense of eagerness or it's a sense of excitement to want to do well. So all I'm doing now is reframing the thought. I am reframing what I, what I call anxiety into excitement, into drive, into fire. And suddenly I'm not as nervous anymore. And when I'm not as nervous anymore, my body doesn't react as much. So now what, now my body thinking it needs to panic and my, 
hands start to shake and my hand, palms get sweaty. That's not happening as much. All because I was able to restructure how I viewed my thoughts, restructure how I interpret anxiety, despite something that's triggering the situation still happening because I can't control what's outside of me, but I can control how I restructure those thoughts. So that's kind of one of the biggest parts. But the second biggest part is understanding also with players, this is also where I go into a deep dive with players, is where do those thoughts originate from? Well, in high school, um, you know, I blew it for a scrim that we were doing. And what was people's reactions? Oh, they were down on me. Okay. Tell me what, what's different about from that situation to this situation. Tell me, sell to me why you're a good player. Talk to me about your strengths. So it seems like now and then are very different, but you're still holding on to that. You're making that connection bridge all the way to who you are now and you're completely different. Why is that? Because I think you focus too much on the things that make you a bad player that we forget the things that got you to where you are today. So we kind of do like a strengths-based um, kind of approach. And, and I really highlight that too in that kind of that general tier approach because I think a lot of the times, as especially esports competitors, what can I do next? What can I do better? When we're always shaping our mentality as what I can do better, what can I improve on, then suddenly we are viewing ourselves as something that just needs to be fixed, something that's broken. But you are an excellent player. You are somebody who's, who's been playing well, got to you are who today. Let's build off of those things and remind yourself that you belong here. Awesome. I do want to have a quick question to follow up with that because I'm, I'm curious, how long does it typically take to, you know, have them change their automatic thoughts or even uh, better under, better reframe a lot of their thoughts as they encounter these situations or triggers in the future? Yeah. Well, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in, in, in the truest sense is, or cognitive behavioral approaches, I'm hesitant to call it therapy because it's not traditionally what, what we're doing, is, is something that is structured. It is something that is time limited. And so what that means is it can be done relatively quickly. And quickly means um, maybe six to eight, eight, six to eight, ses eight sessions um, is traditionally what we would see. So I would say give it some time. Six to, eight, six to eight sessions of one hour sessions and you can see some, you begin to see some positive improvements. What's great about esports is that it's so fast paced, obviously during the seasons, these players are going to competitions all the time. You're able to get immediate feedback and that's what I love because we're able to build off of it right away. Mm -hmm. So that that's that's a really good point, right? Because six sessions at one hour each might not be effective in terms of time use. Right. So, mm -hmm. so how, what do you feel like is an ideal situation for a team? Right. Do you have to always be there or do you just check in once every other day? Mm -hmm. I, I'm just curious about what's like an effective dose for, for an expert like you to be with a team. Yeah. I think for me, um, I, I've been trained and the way I've, I've done things, I traditionally like to meet people weekly. There's nothing wrong with meeting more times a week. The only issue that it runs into is we're getting in the way of practicing the skills. And so if we have too quick of a turnaround, then I don't, I don't feel like you, we allow the individual to practice the skills, reflect on what was said, do a little bit more introspection, and then come back and let's talk about what went, what, what went well and what, um, what didn't go well. So twice a week is not un unheard of. Any, any more than that would probably be, in my opinion, too soon. Uh, certainly I don't think it's going to hurt or anything like that. I just yeah. think maybe the language I would use is it's a little unnecessary. Mm. Um, it's not going to hurt. 
but for me, I feel comfortable with weekly sessions. Um, yeah, I think that's sufficient. I've definitely had players that wanted to meet sooner than that, especially with travel, and that's fine. But traditionally, I try to stick to weekly uh, to allow players the time to really reflect and practice these things. And there is a lot of time to do that because they're scrimming, they're practicing at home, things like that. I got one more question for you. So um, you kind of touched on this already a little bit. Obviously, these yeah. players that we work with are really young, but a, a big thing that happens with different teams and different organizations is you're going to have issues between players and players, uh, players and coaches. Mm -hmm. Like, what's your strategies for conflict resolution? Yeah. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll just let you dive in there. I think one of the first things that I say in session one when I meet with players is, the relationship that you and I have is built on trust and confidentiality. So I don't express to anybody what we're talking about. Um, that includes the organization and your fellow teammates, your captains, your strategy coaches, what have you. The only context that they know that we're meeting is that they hired me. And I let them know that we met so that I can get paid. <laughs> I, just, I'm, I just tell it straight up. But tell them what we talk about. A relationship because here's the thing you know i'm gonna bridge this all the way back to when we talked about um other players who try to help with organizations when you try to have a captain be a mental coach um president of our organization or a strategy coach even be your also your interpersonal person that is difficult because that becomes a conflict problem with the team captain what if i have a problem with my org or what if i have a problem with my strategy coach then left unsaid so it's important that we build that relationship that i am disconnected from i'm not here to tell you how to play dota better i'm here to tell you how to enhance your mentality so that you could play dota better but i'm not here to tell you the strategies or how to draft better so building trust and making that clear from the outset is how I make sure that players um, click resolution try to do is automatic thoughts is getting in the way of you saying to something. Let's, let's talk about in the sense of somebody is saying something to me and I don't know how to talk back myself or I don't know how to give and a lot of the times it's because of interpersonal deficits. These players don't know how to literally communicate. And so I try to analyze what are the defense mechanisms going on, um, language to speak, such as not yelling or not using um, accusatory language and expressing how someone is feeling, using open-ended questions, not being over-demanding. That out in our own conversation. If I notice somebody talks in a certain way, I feel like, Kind of intense in our own conversation i wonder if your fellow teammates feel the same way and so i think when people can understand how they come across interpersonally mm. and understand uh, from a different perspective how maybe other players are communicating to them through me being kind of like a third person who's hearing about the conflict they're able to understand better what works and what doesn't work in terms of conflict or in terms of communication and then they can therefore go back and communicate in a more effective way and let me say one more thing. I know I talked a lot there. Uh, one more thing is I'll say, um, I think a lot of the times people um, are, the players that I've worked with are, are uh, reactionary, which is kind of funny because you got to be reactionary in esports. And, and so they don't know how to resolve things or they don't know how to uh, engage in conflict. 
or appropriate, however you more subtle conflict without just exploding at that time. And so helping players understand when they start to get triggered, understanding how their body is reacting, understanding how they start to get more upset and, and not going to a place of blowing up on somebody else, but knowing how to calm themselves down and then reapproaching the situation is something that I try to work on. What is your quick tip to have, or maybe not quick, or what is your first step as a way to help them calm down in game or calm down in this triggering situation? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I, what I'll say is uh, I'm also trained in couples therapy. Now, this is not relevant Ooh. to <laughs> to um, take care of me, doctor. Esports, <laughs> <laughs> but but oh, now I'm gonna get on a quick, quick like a five second soapbox. Is that um, go for it? The, the Gottman method is a, a way of approaching couples therapy. It doesn't need to be. We don't need to just put that in a box of okay. We only use these tips for couples therapy. Okay, so that's what I was just gonna say. And so I, I bridge these techniques that I've learned about, which is um, how to be, how to lead into a communication with an individual or significant other in a way that doesn't that diffuses situation before it gets more upsetting. And so one of those things is leading with love, and leading with benefit of the doubt, because I think especially as as athletes or as people. We, when we get heated, we don't give the person the benefit of the doubt. We don't lead with love. We don't lead with trying to see it from the other person's point of view. And so I think instead of reacting to your fellow teammate that, oh, they're just being an idiot or they don't, they're not listening to me or they're disrespecting me or they didn't listen to my call. They do this all the time is, well, that's, that is probably, that's part of it. But what would be a way to lead into love with it? And what could be going on in their mind? And I think when you can lead into love and think, well, um, they were probably stressed out. We're all stressed out. And maybe they were trying their best. And how do I know they're trying their best? Because they told me they were. And we've had this talk before. So maybe I shouldn't always assume that they're out to get me or that they're a bad player or a bad teammate. And if I lead that way into my mentality before I engage you in a conversation of conflict with somebody or constructive criticism, then maybe I don't feel as worked up. And maybe the the likelihood of a full-blown conflict happening is suddenly a lot lower because I decided to leave with getting the person the benefit of the doubt. So I try to tell players that before you engage into a, a conflict or a constructive criticism, if you feel like a player, a fellow teammate disrespected you or did something poorly in-game, try to think about why they made that mistake from an honest point of view or giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then how does that shape your view of them? Well, maybe I'm not as mad at them because it seems like it's on this mistake. Now let's approach the conversation. I love that perspective. And you see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really do. I think even just yeah. hearing you say that, I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm happy right now just listening to this because it's so true. You can flip the script just for that one second before you... You take the time to provide whatever feedback you want for your team. Or in the moment, it can really turn off a lot of maybe agitating or triggering emotions that you might feel within a game. If you're just, hey, we're all in this together. This is my teammate. Mm -hmm. I live with this guy in this house. Mm -hmm. I eat pizza with him every night or whatever. Right? Like <laughs> they, they really do live together and spend so right? much time together. And really, they have great relationships together. So there yeah. is love. So why not yeah. tap into that really necessary emotion for communication? I, I enjoy that so much. So that's great. Yeah. 
I think everyone yeah. that's listening to this needs to <laughs> just think about that. Think about using yeah. love before you speak and you know, you'll feel happier. I feel great right now. So yeah. Yeah. We do that with couples, right? We tell them, uh, you know, maybe you want to yell at your partner because they're, they, they keep coming home or they keep doing something a lot later than you want them to. And you're about to blow up on them, but take a moment right before you're about to blow up on them and just think about all the things of why you love them and what makes them a great person. And, and you accept them even though they're imperfect. And then maybe you're able to calm down a little bit better and then you can go into that conversation and you won't light off as much. You'll still be upset. There's nothing wrong with being upset. You should still be upset. But you have lowered the likelihood that it'll turn into a full-scale yelling match or something like that. Yeah, I want to touch a little bit on your soapbox, right? Because, you know, <laughs> couples are just relations. It's just a relationship anyways. And everyone That's has right. a relationship. So That's right. That's it applies right. everywhere. That's right. Spread <laughs> <laughs> love. Spread the love. That's oh, right. Leave with love. That's right. I mean, I feel like we touched on so many great things today, and I'm sure we can speak about a lot more. But I want to get into some more random questions because you know that's what we're about here. I, I do want to ask you one really, really important question, and that is if you could give any gamer listening to this episode or podcast a random tip on life, like when you're washing your hands wash your left hand more because you use WASD <laughs> more or whatever. What would be your random tip in life? And it doesn't have to be limited to, limited to health or performance. A random tip in life. Mm. Let's see. Um, I'm thinking about our call and, and and I'm primed with all the things we talked about. Let's see. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, so that's many. fine. There's so many. I say you up, I guess. I say you up, I guess. But uh, um, fine. The random tip is um, to the people around you. Superficial relationships than we probably want. Budget. Everyone plays a role in that, both the people who are around you and yourself. But here's the issue. Everyone's thinking the exact same thing, which is, and I'm telling you this ecological concept that says is well-researched. Everyone thinks this. But from working at several universities now, hundreds of students that I've worked with, is that everyone wants companionship, friendship, and love. We want to talk about the stresses of life. So we want to feel heard and validated. We want somebody to express empathy with each other, with ourselves, and we want to express that to others. But um, we're too scared to tell one another because we don't want to be that person who's insert whatever you think your fear is, needy, um, the person who's always asking for help. But here's the problem is everyone's thinking that. And so it creates a situation where nobody then is telling each other how they feel. And so then that creates more of a situation where we become isolated and uh, distant from one another where we want love from each other but we don't ask for it or we um or we create a, a, a i'll just end it i'll just keep it there yeah we want love from one another but we don't ask for it because of fear of ridicule and so we perpetuate this this world and so suddenly we're alone and i also see that you know i like you said earlier I've, i used to do smash tournaments full bloom and you'd be surprised of people i've met who can feel alone um even in a 500,000, a 500 person tournament, right? Because um, 
nobody's talking to each other. So at least with my tournaments and with the bi-weeklies that I used to do, I always try to introduce myself. I always try to talk to people about their life and what they're doing. So do that. Ask both ask how you're, the people who are around you, how they're doing, ask them about their life beyond a superficial level and also express how you're feeling and, and really express it. Like, hey, how are you doing today? Not well. <laughs> I'm not doing well. Things aren't going that great, but that's okay. Um, and if you're the person that receives that, say, well, dude, that sucks. Like, what can I help? What can I do for you? Like, what, well, how can I, let's talk about it, you know? And that will only help us to feel more um, connected. And I think when we do that, our mental health goes up, our positivity goes up, and all of that translates to physical health too. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm touched. Spread the love. Spread the love. Spread the love. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So I had one more question too. This is just a fun one. So if you, sure. if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, that one's that one's pretty easy for me because I'm, I'm a big superhero guy and I love comics. Um, uh, it would be speed. That's like my my number one. I love the Flash. I think with speed you could do a lot. Yeah. Uh, run fast. You can with your you know you, with speed you can jump far. You know the Flash is crazy, man. He's got to go to the grocery store. You can just. That's right. Fast. And then speed is related to esports, right? You know, yeah, you can have exactly. good reaction speed. So, but have so you guys speed. seen the boys though? I mean, uh, not yet. I want to watch it. Amazon Prime, right? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Is then it I, good? You I recommend anything? Then I won't say anything. But yes, it's great. It's a. Seen okay. a what? It's a what is super. This? Uh, the boys. Amazon Prime. It's a series, and it's just like this really realistic take on the world of superheroes and industrialization of the superhero yeah. world. So uh, I'll just leave it at, at that. I mean, it's great. And you'll you'll know what I mean when you because you said speed and, and why there's uh, some, something there. So, you'll yeah. uh you'll know when you watch it and okay. then uh, you can you can circle back and we can talk about it. Hey, Prime puts out some good shows. So, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely yeah. check it out. Um, but hey, I, I really want to thank you. I, I think we touched on so many amazing points. Um, I do want to let everyone know where they can find you, where they can get um, get some help from you, see if there, you have any resources. I know you have, you're on Twitter at PhD underscore Louis. You have metagamelouis.com. Is there anywhere else that you want to tell our viewers or our listeners about um, where you can help them with? Yeah. So at PhD underscore Louis is the Twitter. Um, that's kind of the one, I've, the longstanding one I've had. It's kind of a smash one, personal one, and um, tournament organizer one. But I also started a Twitter account that's at Metagame, um, at Metagame Louis. Um, and that's where I tweet stuff about um, mental health, um, being an esports um, mental coach. Uh, and you can also email me. That's fine at my business email. That's just my name, L O U I E Louis Limas, L I M as in Mary A S, at metagamelouis.com. So you can email me there if you want to do a free 30 minute consultation, if you want to just learn more about what we can do to work together. Um, I do all my individual sessions online, so we can do it from the comfort of your home anywhere. Um, and pretty affordable so talk to me about that yeah awesome we'll leave all those links in the description and all over twitter and Great. everywhere else um, but again thank you so much really appreciate you coming on um, i feel like i learned a lot more i'm gonna speak with love um, to everyone around me too me too yeah 
That was amazing. To all my colleagues. Um, so, yeah, thanks again. All right. Nice talking with you all.